Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. The following podcast contains explicit language. Welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, August 27th, the Gap Year Guidance Edition. I'm Jamila Lemieux, a writer, cultural critic, contributor to Slate's Care Feeding Parenting column, host of The Kids Are Asleep, and mom to Naima, who is seven, and we live in Los Angeles, California. I'm Elizabeth Newcamp. I write the homeschool and family travel blog, Dutch Dutch Goose. I'm mom to three littles, Henry eight, Oliver six, and Teddy three, and I'm currently located in Navarre, Florida. And I'm Carmel Wallace, a writer and podcaster in Oakland, California. I am the father to Georgia, who is about to turn 15, and Ezra, who is 17. <laughs> Thank you for joining us, Carvel, a beloved member of the extended Slate parenting family. Folks are always happy when you come back to play. <laughs> Today on the show, we'll be discussing whether this year, a year in which everything is already abnormal, is actually the perfect time to take a gap year. We'll also be answering a follow-up question from a listener whose wife tried to talk to their kid about race, and it didn't go so well. Now they're worried that they're actively turning their kid into a racist. Oh, my. (laughs) And as always, we have triumphs and fails and recommendations. Carvel, what do you got for us this week? This is a little awkward because I'm going to talk about something that my son doesn't actually know about yet. So the triumph is that he is turning 17 and longtime listeners to the show from back in the day will know that like his progress toward being an adult functioning person has been, it's been an adventure. We've enjoyed seeing how it, how it comes and goes. He has definitely shown a lot of growth over the last few months. I would say, I think, COVID and all of his stuff in protests has really helped just, you know, combined with like, just like him reaching that age where certain parts of his brain are starting to come together and do their jobs, maybe at a higher level, executive functioning wise. We've seen like a slightly better improved version of a kid who looks like he may at some point be able to go out into the world and do something, which is a great relief for his mom and I. However, his mom lost her job. She got laid off through COVID related thingies. And now there's, you know, we had some money saved up and there had been some fiscal discipline in our family. So we're not in like a dire situation as of yet, but it's pretty serious. And this coincides with the time that he needs to get a job, which is the thing that we had been kind of, I mean, I've been trying to get him to get a job since like for three years. And it's always been like, yeah, "Yeah, dad, I'm totally going to do that. But then not, you know, it's whatever. And so, but now he's like, he's on it. He started filling out applications and going out into the world and having the difficulty of like, first he wanted to just fill out online applications and then just wait for people to call him back. And then I had to tell him the story because I have my own, like I walked uphill to school both ways in the snow with no shoes version Mm -hmm. of looking for a job, which is that when I lived in New York as a young man, I got fired from a job for behavior that I'm not proud of at this point. And in any event, I was living alone and I had to pay rent. And so that job was on 57th and 3rd Avenue. And I lived in the village on Ledlow Street. And and I walked from the office where I was working at to my home. And I stopped into every single place and asked them, are you hiring? Do you have an application? Are you hiring? And then somewhere around 8th and McDougal, I got a job at a burger place. (laughs) (laughs) And that's my, I walked up both ways story. And I told that to my son. I've told that to him before, but it kind of went over his head. But this time he was like, wow, dad, I think I really need some of that energy. And I was like, yeah, you got to go out into the world (laughs) and actually make these things happen. Even though online feels like it's an easy way to avoid contact, you've got to go out and do it. And so I guess the triumph here is that not only did he start doing that he also was able to like connect with some friends of his who work at places and get them going and i've just seen Mm -hmm. him turn into a little bit of a hustler which is not hustle energy is definitely not a thing that we saw in him yeah uh, on the come Mm -hmm. up and that's the thing that we're always like where's the hustle with this kid but we're starting to see it and i don't know what's going to result but i do know that 
the feeling of confidence for me, like, oh, I know how to shepherd him through this, which is a great relief considering all the other stuff in the world. I don't know how to shepherd them through, which is happening. And it feels so good to know that I actually have some way of helping him walk through this. So that's the part that I'm going to say on the record. There is a plan in place for him that he doesn't yet know about that may or may not happen. (laughs) But it might mean that he and I are actually going to like work together and maybe even relocate for a short period of time to another city where things are different and where he and I can just like focus on him sort of like empty nesting a little bit because I moved to New York when I was 17 years old and that's a big part of what kicked me into gear because I was like him when I was a teenager like bad attention kind of messy didn't really have my shit together but moving to New York when I was 17 just kind of grew me up quickly and we're thinking a similar thing may need to happen with him so that's all I'm going to say right now (laughs) but despite the fact that we're living through an apocalypse here in California I feel weirdly positive about my son's future chances so that's a weird and great Mm -hmm. thing and that's where we're at that's a great win for your son and for you I feel like Yeah. yeah The positive approach to a challenging time. And it, it's to see that thing that you've been trying to seed in him for so long start to bloom feels really good, I'm sure. It does feel really good because he's always been like a late bloomer. I remember when he was learning how to walk. This is cr- not walking, crawling. The doctor was like, if he doesn't crawl by the time he's a year old, then then we have to worry. So like we're his mother and I are stressed. We're stressed. We're stressed. 9 a.m. the morning of his first birthday, he crawls. And we breathe that sigh of relief, but that it has been like that with every developmental milestone since 2003. (laughs) Just like we're on the edge of our seats. And then at the last minute, he just does it. He just does it. He's on his own time. He's on his own time. That's awesome. I feel like I need to take solace in your story going into my... (laughs) So I have three little boys. Um, Uh, Henry, my oldest, who's eight, has a neurological condition called pandas that I've talked about here. And we were in a really good place in kind of this like miracle of COVID. You know, all these bad things are happening. And like you, we had this really good thing in that we're not getting other people's germs, which is what causes his neurological um, condition to really flare. And we had found this good medication. And of course, this week we sort of fell into a like his flares are back, which we always knew was coming. Like the the medicine and all of that are short term responses to this, but it is just like frustrating to see the family like thrown back into that at the same time that like I, you know, have friends and family in California battling the wildfires. We had two hurricanes coming at us here. And this is, we've been in Florida a a couple of years, but this is our first like hurricanes coming at us. You know, do we need to evacuate with these kids? And uh, there's just this added stress since I have two kids that need kind of like extra stuff, just making sure we have all the medicines, like all of that just kind of playing through our head. And we're also not in control of Jeff's evacuation schedules because he's military. Like he he and the planes are controlled by someone else and the family and I are on our own. So I just had been this week, just like in that place. I, I think I'm a pretty, usually a pretty positive person, but just in this place where like, I just can't get out of the like overwhelming dread of everything. And then everything on top of everything, if that makes sense, just was kind of thinking like, is like, how do we continue to move forward? But In that place, I had two kind of tiny triumphs that happened that are like so small, but just like got the whole family laughing. And one is that I reprogrammed our Alexa devices to respond to magical spells. And my three little kids think I'm magic. And we've been like reading Harry Potter together. And so I like when I say Lumos in a room, the um, lights go on. And when I say Nox, they go off. And when I say Alohomora, like this door unlocks and they were mystified. They knew that it was happening through the Alexa, but only the oldest has really figured it out. And he, you know, is relishing in the power that like he and I can do the magic and the other ones are um, in training. But we had lots of laughs and fun with that. And then the other thing is that because I've been feeling kind of like down and how to manage this, I was trying to think of a way that I could at least with the older two have some of their stuff kind of available online so that they could like go get started because in the mornings I have been kind of like checking on friends, checking in on hurricane status, like all of that. So I just created a little Google classroom and uploaded like the YouTube videos and some online like games and stuff that we often use, but that I go set up for them. And I showed Henry how to get on there. And so for the last two mornings, he has just like logged on and gotten his brothers like around the computer and they've watched this like 
curated list of we're doing folklore from around the world right now. And so there's a lot of like great YouTube videos telling different folklore stories. And I just put them all in this Google playlist and they went and they did that themselves. So I feel like my triumph is kind of like amidst the the crushing nests. We have found little glimpses of joy and independence and I'm holding on to those for dear life. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, Glimpses of independence during a pandemic are very helpful. Yeah, yeah. It's also, I mean, it's such a weird time, too, for independence. But the other thing that I think is hopeful is that kids always are going to find a way to do whatever it is they need to do under whatever circumstances. Even if we can't envision it, we kind of just got to let them do whatever they do, kind of. You're so right. Like taking the more I can take cues from them almost and respond the better because yeah. in some yeah. ways they're yeah. better equipped to shut out the noise. Yeah. Well, they don't have as much ability to go grab, especially the young ones, like to go grab information and be weighed down yes. by it. Right. So, yeah. 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 Okay. Jamila, how about you? So I think this is probably like the fourth or fifth time, hopefully not in a row that my triumph or fail has just been like a quote from Naima. Mm. But they're so good. Yes, I'm I'm my favorites, right? (laughs) And I think, you know, again, I'm going to I'm going to claim this is a triumph because even though she was essentially roasting me a little bit, I am very proud to have helped raise a child with this sense of wit and humor. The other day, I guess I told a joke or something, and then I end it with like a little, you know, like a little drum, the yeah. hi-hat. And she was like, what did you just say? And I was like, you know, I was like a hi-hat. And I explained, I was like, you never heard that before? And she says, no, yeah, I have. It's just lame. <laughs> you need to let that go. <laughs> and then you need to let that go. And it was just so like, it just came out so naturally. And I couldn't be offended. I was just proud. I was like. That's my baby. Like she's, I didn't even know she knew the word lane. Like I was just like, this is, this is awesome. Like the wit, the sniping. A little hurtful, but mostly proud of, uh, of what <laughs> you put proud. into the world. Cause good. <laughs> I couldn't do anything but laugh. I was like, all I can do is laugh. And this was right on the heels of her explaining to me about episode 25. So quickly, she was saying something about how her brother was acting and she was like, he, you know, when, when he acts out, she has a five-year-old brother, you know, it's even worse than episode 25. And I said, what's that? Is that like, is that the Peppa Pig whistling episode? Cause you know, people talk about that as like the worst episode of children's <laughs> television or whatever. And so, uh, and I'm so desensitized. Someone showed it to me to like prove the point. And I was like, I don't get it. Why is everybody so upset about this? But anyway, and she says, no, it's when I ate those 24 Pepto-Bismols at school. And some of you all might remember that last year, like a goofy, I sent nine to school with some Pepto-Bismol and she ate all of them and I did not find that out for days and had to call poison control. She was fine. Anyway, um, so <laughs> yeah, 24 Pepto, but like cause she, cause they tasted like candy to her. And so like, has anyone ever enjoyed the taste of Pepto-Bismol? She, she, she got a nice out. detox yeah. she, and <laughs> she could detox. She's fine. I said, well, wouldn't that be episode 24, you know? And she was like, well, there were definitely 24 bad things I did before I ate those Pepto-Bismol, mommy. <laughs> and, like, she starts recounting things from, like, when she was two or three. Like, remember this? Remember that? So I'm already sitting there like, this kid is on another planet. And then she comes back down to Earth to tell me that I'm lame. Ugh. I like that her life is uh, her life is already episodes. Like, that is, like, like right? yeah, these are just plot lines in... <laughs> <laughs> These are plot lines that that's literally she's living in a little in a TV show that she's constructing all by herself <laughs> in front of us. And it's it is something to behold. Yeah. I love how you always act like these things are just coming from nowhere when yeah. clearly <laughs> yeah, exactly. she is just channeling you. Like, I don't understand what the mystery is here. <laughs> right. How how could the child that I nicknamed Mini Mila? Exactly. Where might this be coming from? Where on earth could she be getting these tastes and manners from? Who knows? Exactly. Okay. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Let's get into our listener questions, but first we have to handle some business. 
Tune in tonight, Thursday, August 27th, to my Slate Live show, The Kids Are Asleep. This week, I'm going to be venting about modern parenting with none other than Karen Feeding's Nicole Cliff. You do not want to miss this. Tune in every Thursday at 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific on Slate's YouTube and Facebook page. Two weeks ago, Carvel joined me on the show. Last week, I had one of my very best friends in the world, William Bryant Miles, telling all types of jokes and embarrassing anecdotes about me. It was great. And if you missed the live, you can still watch previous episodes. We'll put the links in the show page. Now, to stay up to date on all of Slate's parenting content and shows, sign up for Slate's parenting newsletter. It's the best place to be notified about all of our good parenting stuff, including care and feeding, mom and dad are fighting, and much more. Plus, it's a fun personal email from Dan directly to your inbox. So sign up at slate.com backslash parenting email. If you want even more parenting advice, join our parenting group on Facebook. It's super active. It's moderated so it doesn't get too out of control. Just search for Slate Parenting. And in Slate Plus, we're going to be discussing teachers who've had lasting impacts on our lives, for better or for worse. Here's a quick sneak peek of what you'll hear if you have Slate Plus. The message just said, you are. You are doing it right. Mm. And I swear to you, I read that one sentence and fucking lost it. Like, I just lost it. To hear segments like that and to get ad-free versions of your favorite Slate podcast, sign up for Slate Plus. It's just $35 in your first year. It's a great way to support all your favorite Slate shows, and you will not hit a paywall on the site so you can keep up with all of Slate's incredible journalism. If you want to support Mom and Dad are Fighting, and we'd really appreciate it if you did, go to slate.com backslash Plus and join Slate Plus today. Finally, do not forget to tune in to our bonus Mom and Dad are Fighting episodes. They appear in your normal podcast feed every Tuesday. All right, let's get into our first listener question, being read, as usual, by the fabulous Shasha Leonard. Dear Mom and Dad, my eldest daughter just started college this last year and seems to be blossoming. She was always kind-spirited and fun, but it seemed like her newfound independence really made her shine. Like most, if not all, college students in the U.S., her traditional college experience came to a screeching halt this past spring. She moved home and fell into a funk. I think she feels like she got a taste of independence and the transition back has been hard. I mean, I get it. The pandemic has been a cloud over us all, but she's having a hard time remaining close with the friends she made on campus. Her drive has diminished. She was already undecided on what she actually wanted to pursue in college. She was getting her gen eds out of the way while she decided on a major. While at home, she's decided that she doesn't want to return to school next year. The environment isn't going to be the same, and she doesn't want to spend thousands of dollars on gen ed courses she doesn't care about. Since she doesn't know what she does want to do, she wants to take a gap year. But here's the thing. She hasn't been putting in the effort to research so she can figure out what she wants to do. I'm not really sure how to advise her. I want her to do what's best for her. The pandemic might be a good time to take a gap year, but am I wrong for thinking her gap year should still be productive? How do I navigate this without stepping on her newfound independence? Thanks. Carvel, before you start, I am asking this of you specifically. Did you know what a gap year was? I remember the exact moment I found out what a gap year was. It was 2015 and I was watching maybe a Vine it might have been. Uh-huh. There was some joke about gap years. And I was like, gap year? What is this? But I remember like learning about it then. But at that point, I was already well into my 30s. So yeah. this was a new <sighs> concept for me. For sure. I, I was definitely an adult when I found out that people like... I mean, the idea of delaying school was not entirely foreign. Like I'd heard of people who needed a little bit more time. But like the idea of a gap year where you're really just exploring and traveling and figuring things out as opposed to like, oh, he's not ready for school. He needs yeah. to take some classes at the community college exactly. or he needs to get a job and save. That was not a thing. I actually ended up... It's funny because I realized retrospectively I took a gap year between my junior and senior year of college. I went to school for theater. That summer I went and worked as an actor in Europe and I was with a company and I had this great time in Europe and I'm just feeling myself and I'm just like running around Europe and drinking and having affairs and acting. I'm just having the greatest time ever. And I came back to New York and I just didn't register for school. I just 
didn't mm. I didn't plan not to. I just kind of didn't. And then when I told the adults in my life, they were like, what the fuck? And, but I was like, it's too late now. And yeah. that quote unquote gap year, I worked two jobs. I worked like at a, I had a 6 a.m. job as a fundraiser for Congress of Racial Equality, where I worked from 6 oh, to wow. 12. And then I worked from 1 to 7 as a bike messenger in New York. And I did that for a year. And after that, guess who was ready to go back to college with a quickness? Yeah, and I came back in my it. senior year and was productive as hell. So that was it kind of a gap year. You know, I didn't know that that's, that was called a thing. I thought that was just me being lazy. Thinking about the gap year episode of black or plot line on blackish, right. you know, and right. how Junior's parents were, you know, her dad, his dad was like, this is some white folks <laughs> shit, you know, and I often point that out on the show, like, this is white But I think that there is something like, as somebody who took five years to graduate, perhaps in part, well, I failed a class second semester, year, senior year, I can't really put it on like me not knowing what I wanted to do. But I think that had a lot to do with me not knowing what I wanted to do. I think that this is a good idea. Yeah. Because to to continue to pay for school, especially under these circumstances under which, yes. you know, th- this young person doesn't know what they want to be doing and won't be on campus. So it's like I'm paying just to be a part of yeah. to, to stay on the books and, and be, a, you know, to say I'm working toward my degree. But I don't know what this degree might be in. So, like, if you take, you know, mm-hmm. ostensibly the general education requirements will work for you in most degree programs. I'll say I, ha- I also studied theater in college. So, like, I didn't have any room to like if I had spent a year on gen ed, I would have. Also, I would have had to add another year to my schooling, you know? Mm. So, like, I don't know. Like, this to me feels kind of like a good idea. But what's important, and see, your time off gave you some perspective, Mm. right? You realize that being in school is a privilege Mm. to a certain extent. You know, it's an easier lifestyle. I think that what this young person really does need to know, and and their parent is correct, like, yes, there should be a time of exploration. This should not be, you know, just a a time to rest, right? Like, rest is certainly going to be a part of it. Mm -hmm. And you should be able to get a lot of rest. You know, the world is closed down. You can't, you know, go run the streets and party just because you're not in school because you probably couldn't get into most of that stuff anyway right now, depending on where you live. But... To, for this year, you know, even for this semester to close without them having a good clue as to like, what would make me happy? What I want to study, even if you're not certain on like, what's the job? If you're mm-hmm. like, this is the area of study, this is the department I belong in, mm-hmm. you know, that should probably be a stipulation of the terms of this continued, you know, like, cause I, I'm assuming that this parent, you know, this family is providing support, you know, the kid is back in the house. They're not sending, you know, there, there doesn't sound like they're working or going to be working, that should be a, a term of the uh, the break. What do you all think? I would even suggest to these parents that there's a reframing that can happen. In other words, the question is about the kid losing their independence. But what I see actually is a kid asserting their independence, right? I see them just leveraging their independence in a different direction and a direction that to me strikes me as fairly sensible given the situation, right? Like the thing that really strikes me about my kids now is that like when I was growing up, that our parents were preparing us for like entry into a system. It's like, go to school, get a good education, settle Mm -hmm. down, get a good job, buy a house. These are the things that will bring about happiness and comfort for you and future generations. And I then just sort of mostly told my kids that, but what they're seeing is that, boy, I I mean, as much as I didn't know coming up in Gen X, if that was a real thing, they know Mm -hmm. they already know it's not a real thing. They don't even know if college, what is, what is college even going to be? What mm-hmm, is, right. what is career? What is capital? What is the, so it's really hard to convince a kid yet. Yeah, no, you really need to like focus all your energy on building this, like f- towards a future when the future is so wildly uncertain, even feels more uncertain than it did when we were kids. Although philosophically, the future is always uncertain. So what I see is a kid making a fairly good decision and using her independence mm-hmm. as a way of saying, this is what I want to do with may I remind you my life at this point, I want to take a gap year. I think that's great. I do think that if I was a parent, I would, I would like be welcoming to the idea. And then I would see if I could influence and put some things into the computer for them to process. Like here's a good way to take a gap year, or here's a good thing to think about while you're doing it. But ultimately, if you want to support her independence, let her make this decision. She will find what she needs to find. She will see what she needs to see. The adults in my life couldn't force me to register for class that year because I was in New York and they were wherever and it just wasn't going to happen. But turns out I saw what I needed to see. Like I looked out Mm -hmm. of the world and the information I needed to have about how to grow up was right there available for me. And I suspect that's what happens with most kids. They learn how things work and they respond accordingly. 
So I think you should let this happen. I think you should continue to try and influence, you know, how it works. But I think you need to think of yourself as an ally helping her schedule and plan and organize and curate this experience rather than as the gatekeeper who must decide whether or not this happens. This is happening. You need to get on the team with her and be a co-designer of it. Carl, I kind of came down on the same place in terms of saying like, I guess COVID in and of itself to me is not a reason to take a gap year because like, I'm not entirely confident that like a year from now looks necessarily Mm -hmm. different. Like I don't, I hope it does. So like you said, preparing them to be independent in these moments, in these moments that are hard, I think is what we can do for them. So to be able to say like, COVID in and of itself isn't a reason, but maybe all these other things like that you don't know what that you want to do and that the reason you wanted to be on campus were, you know, more for the social life, which is totally fine. And if that's not there, then maybe it's not worth the money. And I sort of made a list of things that I thought needed to be considered because I also think the child needs to make the decision. But I think you as the parent can say, like, these are the things that you need to think about. So one is kind of the financial Mm. obligation, like who was paying for school? If you take a year, does that continue to happen? You know, can you displace any financial aid, any scholarships, like any of that? I know for me, like I had a scholarship at school and it was four years. And if I didn't get it done in four years, it wasn't going to stick around. And that was motivation for me to make this work, whatever that took to make it work. Right. So I, and I also think like, it's not your job as the parent to go figure that out. You can certainly help them. I also think like what, is your financial state going to be if they stay? Because the troubling thing to me was that, you know, she says like, well, the child's not really wanting to go find anything. So I think you can say like, here is what we are willing to do for you if you stay, but here is what your part has Mm -hmm. to be. And like, if they don't make a decision, where are you going to fall? I think that as a parent, like we can't control our children's decisions, but we can say like, these are the consequences. Should you either choose not to get a job or not to go to school? Like, here's where we're going to be. But I think also just guiding them through, like, what do you want to accomplish in this gap year? Like, are you going to take this gap year because you want to, you know, acquire a new skill? Do you want to earn some money? Do you want to, like, where is your focus going to be for this year, for this time period that you are giving yourself? And if that answer is like, I just need rest, that's an okay answer. And you can go forward from that to say like, okay, you need rest, but, you know, you can't just be loafing around the house. So are there tasks at home that this kid can now help with to help you have a, you know, easier life. I don't know. I think guiding that conversation, but at the end of the day, you're absolutely right. Like she says, I want to foster independence. The way to foster independence is to say, you get to make this choice and here are going to be the natural consequences to that. And we're here to like support your fall, but also know that this is a, this is an adult choice in an adult, you know, real world situation. Well, yeah, but part of the issue is, and I don't know what region of the country these people are in, but I'll just say that one of the issues we're facing is that, you know, you talked about consequences. It's like our list of consequences, if we're being real, like really real, is fairly limited. What are we going to do? Yeah. Kick them out of the house? Like, right. I mean, in the Bay Area, when like we can barely afford rent, now this child, no, you sure, know what I mean? Like, sure. so like, so I think that's a thing. I just think that like, I mean, I agree with everything you're saying. And also, there is a certain amount of in a COVID world in which everything in which there's no clarity about any of these like ways to navigate through even for adults there there's a limit to how much we can enforce certain consequences with kids in their 19 20 21 year old years i think that there are some natural consequences like if they stay home and you're funding xyz a natural consequence is Mm -hmm. like well then we can't fund xyz of this so like i agree with you like i'm not suggesting that you throw anyone out in this time and i think that this is a time of like where you need to be loving and understanding but i also think that having a conversation that says If we, you know, pay for your full care here, feeding home, all of this that we wouldn't normally have had, that's a year of what we would have covered in college. So what are we going to do? What are we going to do about that? Because you're going to be a year later entering the job market. We're at the age where it's not like, you know, consequences like right now you're grounded, but we're at the age of saying like these decisions have impacts. And here's what that impact's Mm going to be. And we're willing to work with you, but we also need to let you know, you know, like the situation that we're in. And how we we can continue that. Mm -hmm. And we don't know what this year is going to look like. Like, we don't know if everyone in the house is going to stay employed. You know, those are the conversations that we that we need to be having so that they understand the full weight of of their decision. I think those are all important things to think about. Um, 
And I definitely would just add to that, like, again, thinking about, like, how does how do we keep the lights on in this place with an amount to feed? And, you know, like, how was school being paid for before? What can I be doing aside from just the exploration of career that's productive, right? So it's one thing to have to figure out what was it that I want to do, but is it a part-time job? Is it working remotely or online? You know, is it taking some sort of other classes? Is it a part-time class? Is it a junior college class? Like, make the most of this year because you won't get an opportunity like this again, hopefully. I mean, if we're stuck in the house for two years, we're talking about a whole different other set of challenges and issues. But ideally, this will be the only time in which a gap year, as acceptable as they are, I don't think that there'll be any other time where it's like, of course you took off the 2020-2021 school year. You know, like that was a complete, like you would have been wasting your money if you didn't. So letter writer we're wishing you all the best there's certainly a lot of anxiety and, and stress mm-hmm. that you all are facing right now as we all are but I, I know that's certainly exacerbated for folks that are in the such a big crossroads in terms of their futures so wishing you and your young person super well before we get into our next letter just a reminder if you are interested in having a question submitted for consideration for our lamentation on the air please send it to mom and dad at slate.com This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance— Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right. And now our second and final question of the week, again, being read by Shasha Leonard. How do you talk about race with a five-year-old? There have been now at least two episodes of Mom and Dad are Fighting, where the hosts have urged white parents to talk to their kids about race. I've been hesitant to talk to my five-year-old about race, but not for the reasons suggested on the show. I'm not afraid of letting her know that the world can be ugly. I'm afraid of doing a bad job of it and accidentally making her racist. I'm not convinced that I can explain to her that some people think black people are bad without her getting it into her head that black people may be bad. I'm fine telling her things like, don't judge people on their appearance, but I get the sense that that isn't what's being encouraged. My wife recently took a stab at this, and it didn't go very well. My wife tried to explain some of the history of racism, and my daughter seemed to think it was more of an exciting story than an upsetting history. She started asking my wife to repeat the story, and started asking about whether people wanted to enslave or kill some of her black friends, but in a way that was more like it would be an exciting game than something scary or bad. We tried to explain that she wasn't really getting the point, but I'm not really sure how well that sank in. She seems to have dropped it now, but I'm concerned about getting a similar reaction if we try again. I'm also afraid of her saying something offensive or hurtful next time she sees her black friends. Not that COVID is really letting her see much of anyone these days, but she's growing up in a liberal area of New York, so it's unlikely that she's going to join the Klan. But I know that that isn't the only kind of racism. I do think we need to talk to my daughter about race. We live in the heart of Whitelandia, rich suburb outside New York City, and she probably isn't going to meet all that many black kids at school. There have actually been a few racist incidents in our town recently. So any suggestions on how to talk to a five-year-old about race without doing more harm than good? Thanks. I'll briefly start by saying that is a difficult thing to have to explain to a child. Trust me, I know it's a very it's even more difficult when you're explaining it to a child who is black. Yeah. Right. Who has to step out into the world, whether they've experienced it yet or not. And and more likely than not, by the time you're having this conversation, they have that somebody has made them feel 
uncomfortable or has implied that something was inadequate or, or, you know, deviant about them or just seeing the lack of representation of themselves in certain spaces or just seeing that the default for the world, you would think if you look at pop culture and politics would be white folks, you know, particularly white men, you know, that everybody else is just trying to get in where they fit in and that we are, you know, very low on this food chain. Like it's, it's, not hard for a kid to start picking those clues up. So even without you telling your child that some people may think that black people are bad, the world is absolutely telling your child that some people think that black people are bad. So hiding the truth from them is only going to make them more vulnerable to believe someone else's version of events, which is that the the hierarchy of the world is correct. And that, you know, Mm. what we describe as racism is actually, you know, just the natural order of things, you know, Mm. like you you don't want your child to be so clueless about these things that they're open to a completely opposite perspective. The the fact about them being somewhat titillated or excited (laughs) at the prospect of their friends being uh, killed or kidnapped into slavery is a little scary. But I also would I'm just going to give you the benefit of the doubt and say I'd imagine or your wife rather that there may have been some language that implied that this was not as devastating and terrible as it was and that it maybe sounded like a story. Yeah. At five in books, people die and come back and, you know, and, and are wizards and magic. And so I don't know, like that conversation obviously didn't go very well. I have more to add, but I do want to hear from my co-host. And I want to start with you, Elizabeth, because I'm curious now, because I have not had to talk to a white five-year-old about racism. I haven't had to explain this to somebody who's not going to be impacted by it in the same way as my child. How have you talked to your kids about race? Yeah, so I first want to say, like, it's never too soon to start talking. So if you can avoid having your first conversation at five, that's great. But it's also never too late. So if you haven't done it now and you think, like, well, there's just no, like, well, we can't start now. You can't start now. So I actually think the reaction to me feels like the most, like, pure form of white privilege. Like, this child has no framework for understanding racism, right? Like, a five-year-old hasn't really been out in the world. If they're not exposed to it and no one is telling them what they're seeing, they don't really know. So the child's thinking, like, this is a story that I'm being told, and I'm trying to kind of sort out where that fits in. So I think, given that, what you have to do is kind of, like, rewind and just approach it differently. I think because... Kids are getting the message from society, right, that, like, white people, white men particularly, are in charge, like Jamila talked about, like, they are what you are just seeing, that, one, it's your job to point that out to them, to ask, like, when you are hearing a story or when you are um, reading something or when you see something, to say to them, like, well, who wrote this and what were they trying to accomplish? And you can do that, like, even my little three-year-old, when we are reading stories and we ask that, is starting to understand and hear that, like that each story has an author, each thing that's happening has a perspective, like things you watch on TV and what is that advancing? So I think you can then start pointing out, I mean, we've had other episodes we've talked about, like when you are driving around town and you you see driving through a low economic you know, area and houses are marked for, we, we talked about that in another episode, marked to be demolished and then a condo goes up. Like these are opportunities in the real world where you can say, this is what's happening, your child will see how you react to that and how you react to those situations. So I think one, like you need to live the kind of anti-racist being the person who is an advocate and letting them see that so that it is not just like, here is this lesson and this story I'm going to tell you that they can see you being an ally to other people in your daily like life that your friends are not all white, the things you are doing, if that is not part of your life now, make it part of your life. And I am going to give you, I mean, we've given examples on other episodes, but specifically, I wanted to give you two resources, letter writer right now. So the first is that I want you to take a virtual field trip to the Atlanta High Museum of Art. They have an exhibit right now called Picture the Dream. It is the story of the American civil rights movement told through children's picture books. And Mm. while you cannot go there, they, um, I mean, you can if you were living in Atlanta and you masked up and did all those things, but they have posted a ton of their pictures and commentary on their website. My kids and I have been doing this just, we do Mm. an art section and we've been using this as the host of our art thing while it's online. And it's 
amazing uh, because it is already curated for your children's age. You don't have to do any of that work of language or worried about how much is too much or any of that because it's already been done for you. It covers uh, all the way from like the, the first stuff is sort of the Rosa Parks refusing to get up give up her seat. And there's a big part of that. That's the 65th anniversary, which of course, you know, leads to the Montgomery bus boycotts. There's a bunch about that. It goes all the way through to modern picture books about um, Black Lives Matter. It's wonderful. My favorite picture that we've done so far is a picture of a segregated um, swimming pool. And all the white kids are in the swimming pool. The black kids are waiting outside with their towels and the pool water is all green. And my kids had so many like ideas about why the pool water would be green, like the like jealousy that that must have felt. And because these stories are told from the perspective of the Black children, your kids are put in their shoes. And so you are also, when you're looking at this picture, outside of the pool. And to me, the, my children had so many comments about that. And that is a great jumping off point. And it's so concrete for them to understand instead of this amorphous, like, People think people are bad and some people think this. Like you're actually saying there was a point in time in which your skin color determined whether you could use this pool. That to them is so concrete. And that led to them asking questions that I could then answer or look up answers to. So I think that is wonderful. And we will put a link to that exhibit um, in the show notes. The other resource I want to give is that there's a Charlotte Mason, which is the kind of homeschooling we do, which is all based in books. There is a woman called The Heritage Mom. She has a big blog and she puts out these curriculum packs. Um, And we have been using them for several years and they give you basically a book list, discussion points, and videos to watch and that to jump off conversation. Now, it's designed as a 36-week curriculum. You could absolutely do one a week. You could put one in a night, but it's a good, if you don't really know where to start, this is a wonderful place to start. We have been using, um, this year it's called Melanated Tales and it focuses on mythology and on fables and all of that from the African heritage. It covers some that were here told by slaves. It covers some from different countries on the continent of Africa. It is a wonderful way to weave in Again, the idea that things come from different perspectives uh, into like we're doing a mythology study, which as presented by the curriculum is only Greek mythology. So we are adding in, you know, things from other cultures. There is one for if you don't know where to start again, there is one that we used last year called Amazing Africa that I really loved because each book is from an author from a different country telling the story of their country. And it Mm -hmm. is, um, that includes then, uh, at the end of the curriculum, you're then reading stories of people that came to America, the different ways they came and the African American stories here and about Mm -hmm. black culture and about, there's a bunch though. So you're sure to find one. This is a really easy way to like go have this stuff available. Her book lists are excellent. And she's already going to help you say like, here's a great way to start discussion on the part of this book. Because it seems like that all you need is like a little push to Mm. get the discussion on base for a five-year-old as opposed to necessarily like starting off with with these stories that there's no, not stories, but like the tale of civil rights and of racism that they don't really have a context to. So I don't know, that's that's kind of where we've started. I just try to make it, part of what we're talking about. Do I always do it right? No. Am I just trying? Yes. And that's all I encourage you is to keep having, even if it goes poorly, keep having the conversation and try something new. But I would love to hear what you guys have to say. So that was such a great answer. And I feel like it hits on three points that I want to make. Two of them have to do with perspective. And one of them has to do with just what we know about talking to kids about anything that is complicated. What you're talking about, Elizabeth, is two perspective shifts that I think are really important when people talk about race, when white people talk about race, that often doesn't happen. One is the shifting the perspective. These people in this message, this letter, say, I want to talk about race, but all they talk about is the horrors of race. And this idea that blackness is inseparable from the terrible things that happen around blackness is a major way in which people on the left propagate and continue white supremacy. The idea should be that blackness Mm -hmm. is a whole myriad of things, ways of being and existences in the world. 
that are beautiful and valuable and layered and historical and go back centuries. And that this is part of the experience for those people in this time and space, instead of talk about race. Well, now we got to start talking about lynching. Like, it's just like, that's one of the things that I find tremendously frustrating. And I recognize it because I think that they're Mm -hmm. probably, well, I don't know if I was going to say, I was going to try and be like, I myself have felt that way. But if I'm being honest, I haven't. Because my experience of blackness has <laughs> been, yes, it's been all the shit that I've experienced. Of being it's a much more layered. It's much more layered because it also has to do with like my aunt Gertie's stuffing is like a big, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Like, And so there's, so I have all these different ways of thinking about the experience of being a black person. And I think for white people who are on the outside, the first way they know to approach the concept of blackness is through like tales of horror and suffering. So right. the stuff that, that Elizabeth said about the museums, about the mythology, these are ways to include more than that because ultimately what you're trying to get your kid to recognize is that these are people that this very painful thing is happening to these are people like you in other words this painful thing is also happening to you it is unfair it is wrong you are experiencing it you are seeing it and children have an inherent empathy that allows them to see that that's really what the conversation is yeah about. yeah um The second perspective shift is that instead of thinking about what things are from a white point of view as like, I was thinking only thing about what things are from my point of view is like, we're outside of this thing. I don't know what to do. What I really love about, especially the pull thing that, that Elizabeth described is that opportunities for your child to hear stories, see things from a black person's point of view. This Uh is like the fundamental reason that we do what we do as writers and as creators of content is to allow people a chance to have a different point of view than the one that they, that society has given them. And in my personal opinion, that's a really big part of changing actual hearts and minds is by allowing people to have points of view that are different than the one society gave them. I mean, I think you're right that like what you're experiencing in this first conversation with a child is just evidence of how deeply inset your white privilege is that your child can only view black people and the experiences of black people as this external thing with zero real consequences and only fun and games because she has not had the experience of being connected to blackness black people and the experience of seeing the world through the eyes of black people and that's what you have to change that's what you can change and that's what you have to change The third thing I'll say is that every difficult conversation with kids is never a conversation. There is no the sex talk, the race talk, the global warming talk. It is you. These talks go on forever. They get more information. They come to you to process. You say a thing. They listen to what you say. Then they also start looking at you sideways like, I don't think this motherfucker knows what he's talking (laughs) about. And they go to their friends and then their friends say something. Mm -hmm. And that is how they put stuff together. So. So don't put too much pressure on yourself to solve this thing the first time you open your mouth about it, because that's not going to happen as you see. That's just like that's it's going to go like this. It's going to be hella weird and your kid's going to get the wrong idea and you're going to be like, oh, I screwed everything up. That's fine. That's normal. Continue to have the conversation. I would also add a fourth thing that uh, that Elizabeth also hit on that was the first thing that struck me, which is like the thing I always say when I talk about white parents talking about race is. Kids learn. 80% 80% of their stuff around the world from what you do, yep. 20% from what you say, give or take. So what are you doing about race, letter writer, is the question. What are you actually doing? Because that's what your kid is seeing. And so don't put a lot of pressure on like, what do you, how can I say the right thing and deliver the right speech? Because that's not even going to be, you could deliver the most beautiful sort of treatise on race ever constructed to a five-year-old. And they're going to be like, that was interesting. But what they're really focused on is how do you live on a daily basis? And I understand that you live in Whitelandia and I certainly am not encouraging you to drive out and start grabbing black people off the streets and being like, please join our family and be friends with us. But how are you protecting black people? How are you advocating for fairness and equal treatment for people in your community? What are you standing up for? What are your conversations around the dinner table like around that? What things are you refusing to participate in because you recognize, even though they're not directly negatively impacting you, these systems and situations directly negatively impact other folks? What are you doing around that? That's what your child will learn from. And if you get that shit together, it doesn't matter what you say. Your kid will learn exactly what you want them to learn. So 
that's kind of my summary on that. But I appreciate this letter and I know it's hard. I don't know that I'd ever want to be a white parent talking to white kids around race in the year of our Lord 2020. That sounds like a nightmare. I also have to say here that living it and talking <laughs> talking about it is also another a nightmare. Kind of nightmare. And you don't really want that smoke either. So let's just, we all need to deal with this is what I'm saying. I love what you said about the dinner table conversation because fundamentally that's a great way to be able to express and have your kids hear about mm-hmm. stuff like letting them hear you and your partner whoever's around have these conversations because mm-hmm. yeah. um, that really speaks to like the heart of what you think and feel and kids know that in the time of COVID if you can't figure out anything else to do at least be having these difficult conversations discussing what you have seen in the news you could even get away with never mentioning any bad thing happening to black people for a while oh for you could sure just, yes, you yes, could yes. just <laughs> expose these children to black perspectives black culture black experiences yes in and of itself and they will put two and two together and be like, wow, it's kind of fucked up that this shit is happening to these people when they're just regular ass people. And so I would even like double down in that first perspective shift that we don't need to talk about blackness as only as the recipient of this horrible stuff. We have to talk about it in the 360 degree way. One of the things the letter writer said was that they try to, you know, one, co-signing everything that you two have said. Um But they mentioned that they want to teach their daughter not to judge people based on how they look. And I think it's important that we expand that beyond, you know, that that's a very simple way of putting it. Right. Like just because they're black doesn't mean they're bad, essentially, is kind of how that, you know, can be taken. Um, And just because they look like you doesn't mean they are to be trusted or that they're friendly or okay, Right. And so I think moving away from this idea of not judging a book by its cover and instead what you want them to be able to do is to understand why the cover would make them hesitant. Why would, you know, they mm-hmm. they not feel as comfortable with a black person or a person of color than they would someone who looks like them? Why would they assume that a white, you know, maybe a white guy who reminds them that their dad is a nice guy only to find out that this could be the most dangerous person, you know, in the neighborhood and you weren't thinking <laughs> to be on guard for that, right? Ultimately, the most complicated thing about talking about race for white parents, I would imagine on some level, is more than just one. The one, what are you doing? You know, are they seeing you, like uh, Carvel said, what are they seeing you do about racism? Are they seeing you have friendships with people of other races? Are they seeing you, do you watch Insecure when they go to bed? And, you know, do you read Black authors? Do you, you know what I mean? Like, not saying that loving our culture is enough, but do they see you having, you know, Black people part of your life in a meaningful way, right? Like that's important and your empathy and and your, you know, willingness to speak out and speak up uh, about injustice. But it's not just talking to your kids about black folks. You have to talk to your kids about white folks. That's Mm. the part that, that's, you know, that I think may be the most challenging that you have to talk about what your people have done, you know, and, and coming to a place where you can talk about that without feeling personally attacked or, or, you know, that you're being assumed to take on more responsibility for something that you didn't quote unquote do, you know, like that you have to tell the truth that people who look like your grandparents, people who look like your parents and your friends have caused great harm, that those were children, you know, Mm. at those swimming pools, making fun of the black kids who couldn't get in, you know, or or Mm. being happy that somebody poured in some bleach or something um, so they couldn't participate. Like that there were children outside of segregated schools taunting the black kids that were sent in to desegregate like mm-hmm. that part of their history is deeply complicated and and you know and that there may be people that they're related to you know people who they may love and certainly a lot of people who look like them whether you can draw a direct connection between your family and acts of over-the-top racism you have to talk about whiteness, that it, it's given you a pass to walk through the world without some of the challenges that other people have, that it's given you unfair privilege. You have to talk about privilege. It's not just about what Black people don't have or how we've been treated. It's about how you've been treated. It's about the things that the world, you know, like, will say and do to and for your daughter because she's a little white girl. You know, and in the same way, you have to also talk to her about sexism and the fact that she's going to be in situations in which she's not going to be treated fairly or be affirmed in the way that she deserves to because she's a girl. You also have to talk about the unfair privilege that she has. So, uh, like Carvel said, you have a lot of conversations before you, and these are conversations you'll be having with your children, you know, hopefully for the rest of your life. I still have these conversations with my parents and not just, you know, we're all black adults at this point. We're not just, you know, commiserating and trading war stories. Sometimes we're talking theories. Sometimes we're talking about why, you know, or what should we do? What is the strategy here? So 
Letter writer, thank you so much. I know we gave you a lot to think about. I hope it was helpful. Please feel free to keep us posted and reach back out and let us know how things are going. As a reminder, if you're interested in having a letter uh, read on the show, please send an email to momanddad at slate.com. And before we get out of here, we're going to do our recommendations. So I'll start with you, Elizabeth. Anything that you are recommending this week? Yes, it's a little device called the bug bite thing, and it almost looks like a teeny tiny plunger. And when you get a bug bite, you put it on and it stops the itching. I have no idea if this medically works, but it's my one child, Oliver, gets bit all the time. And we're now in like mosquito season crazy in Florida. And it it stops the giant welts and it uh, makes him stop whining, which is maybe what I'm pitching. Buy the bug bite thing and then your child will stop whining about the Mm. bug bite. So quick little fits in your purse no medicine it literally just looks like a teeny tiny like plunger i don't know anyway that's what i'm recommending the bug bite thing the bug bite thing awesome carvel yeah i'm gonna recommend something this is for older kids and i'm gonna recommend it because my daughter insisted i watch it and it was kind of uncomfortable so you have to be at a place where you're comfortable watching like adult content related stuff with your kids which maybe happens around 15 16 17 but it's the hbo show euphoria some of us started that a lot earlier, yeah. not euphoria, but, it's but diff- adult it, it, content. That's what I'm saying. I mean, that's what I'm saying, <laughs> is that some of the, some of the adult content stuff yes. is like really intense. The euphoria has got like all kinds of sex and drugs and it's got, t- it's just yeah. like, it's got a lot. So my kids have watched other stuff, but this was a new level. But the reason I recommend that show is because my daughter started trying to get me to watch that show from the, I watched the first episode two days before she started high school, which was a nightmare to do it was a bad idea but she kept insisting dad have you watched it for you dad have you watched it and i was like i mentioned it to my therapist and she was like your daughter's trying to tell you something dad and mm. i was like oh <laughs> she's trying to tell me something oh, and mm. what i realized in watching it with my kids is that they're trying to explain to me this is what being a teenager does feel like sometimes mm. and they're also saying to me in other ways it's this is ridiculous. This is not what being a teenager feels like. I know this this is what you're afraid is happening, but dad, this would never happen. The kids I hang out with don't ever do stuff like this. But watching that show with both of them was so fascinating because not only was there all this discussion around things that were happening in the show, but there were times where we had to pause and as a family hash out a very serious like issue that was brought up around abortion, gender, you know, like disagreements between my son and my daughter around various things having to do with like who's in the right and who's in the wrong in situations. It really became this catalyst for a way of processing all of these complicated things. Now, as a parent, you have to feel like you have the range for those conversations because shit will Mm -hmm. get real. But if you do feel that way and you're looking for something that is like fun to watch, has good music, good acting, well shot, a little bit over the top, but will also like allow you to like make space for difficult conversations around drug, sex, consent, growing up, et cetera, depression that you may not have space for if you just throw it out in the kitchen, then Euphoria is the show for you. I recommend that. Uh, again, mature content, I would say for kids 16 and up. Very good recommendation. Great show. Mine, I'll keep it simple this week. For folks who are gluten-free or try to eat somewhat gluten-free, I'm in the latter, uh, slightly intolerant and just fake healthy in all ways. I um, oftentimes try to find, you know, breads and desserts that are yummy and tasty and are not going to make me feel bloated or gain a pound overnight like, say, a bagel would. Freedom gluten-free donuts. Like... They are so good. I, yes, I'm trying to like, I've been trying to figure out how to order them online for a reasonable price. You may have to find your local, you know, you you may want to start with like Instacart or your local grocery store and see, I got mine from a grocery store here called Sprouts and these are cake donuts. Love Sprouts. Sprouts is so good. Sprouts is kind of like a cross between Trader Joe's and Whole Foods. It's smaller, you know, like lots of fresh, you know, great fresh produce and chicken and poultry and all that stuff. Anyway, these donuts are, I had the glazed old fashioned. They're so good. They're so, 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 so good. So if you need something to, you know, it's two o'clock in the morning, you want to go eat something at the refrigerator without feeling bad uh, or without feeling as bad as you should. A little (laughs) tiny freedom gluten-free donut. Please check your local grocery they are off the chain so good yeah 
I got my lime juice, but it just came. Oh, so good. Gotta make you got to make your pie. pie still. Yes. yes. I'm going to make mine this week, too. I need to make one. Uh, I said I was going to do it last yeah, week. I'm but... excited. I'm so excited. Hey. Simple key lime pie. Good donuts. I mean, ugh, all desserts. you're getting me through this, Jamila. <laughs> all desserts. All emotional eating. I love it. With that, that is our show. Thank you so much, Carvel Wallace, for joining us. It's always so nice to speak to you and okay. nice to have you back. Mom and Dad are Fighting is produced by Rosemary Velson. On behalf of Elizabeth Newcamp and Carvel Wallace, I'm Jimmy Lemieux. Thank you for tuning in, and we will see you next week. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing... The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.